Hey, what's up? This is episode 11 of One Tired Teacher. Today I have a second year teacher, Amanda, here sharing her beginning journeys of teaching in an alternative school, 6th through 12th grade. We touch on the challenges she faces in the classroom with meeting the needs of students who struggle with ADHD and anxiety. We can always learn from everyone, no matter their place on the path of education. And sometimes we can gather tips on what we should be focusing on in our professional development of new and seasoned teachers. I hope you'll join me. I made a suggestion to Amanda off the air about utilizing podcasting as a strategy to engage her students. She was excited about the possibilities. So I've included a freebie for you about helping students determine their audience. You can grab it at Trina Debery Teaching and Learning, One Tired Teacher, Episode 11. Make sure to grab it if podcasting might be a solution for your classroom. All right, let's get started. Welcome to One Tired Teacher. And even though she may need a nap, this teacher is ready to wake up and speak her truth about the trials and treasures of teaching. Here she is, wide awake. Wait, she's not asleep right now, is she? She, she is awake, right? Okay. From Trina Debery Teaching and Learning, your host, Trina Debery. Hey, so today I have second year teacher Amanda who is teaching in a, at an alternative school, like I said in the beginning, and she's here to share her teaching truths. We speak a little bit about her struggle that she faces daily with teaching children who are often feeling left behind or overlooked. The ESC population is high with a large number of students diagnosed with ADHD and anxiety and other various learning challenges. Towards the end of the conversation, I ask Amanda what she would like to know more about on her professional learning path. Fortunately, she has had some PD on various topics, like how poverty impacts children at school. However, she hopes to learn more about how to best utilize strategies to help children work through learning barriers, such as anxiety and ADHD. Let's take a listen to a little bit of the conversation Amanda and I had. Today I have Amanda with me, and I'm so glad to have you today. So welcome. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Amanda? My name is Amanda. I'm a teacher in Bradford County, Florida. I have, um, I went back to school in my 30s for my degree um, and graduated in 2016 from UF with a degree in agricultural education. Oh, uh, wow. But there were no agriculture jobs available, so I got certified in English, 6 through 12, and uh, this is my second year teaching. Last year, I taught 8th grade English. Wow. So, so it's just been a short amount of time. And by the way, go Gators. <laughs> I yes, was go Gators. Here. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this year I'm teaching 6th through 12th graders um, alternative education, so students with uh, behavioral issues in school or um, those that are on probation are with me. What is it like to deal, to deal with the, the kids that are struggling and, and are, have they been like kicked out of their other, like a different school and this is where, they're, where they have been placed or is this a choice that they have? Um, they get placed. They they can't come by choice. It's basically a alternative to ex being expelled. It, okay. They're kids that would normally have been expelled, but we have this program to help them stay in school. Wow. So what is so what is that like? It's definitely different than teaching in a regular classroom because the students do their work on a uh, computer program. Mm -hmm. Because I have a mixture of different grade levels, so it'd be kind of impossible to teach a lesson when they're all in different levels. I teach English and social studies. Um, it's good. It's got a lot of good things. I have a lot more time because I have so many fewer students. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have more time to work with them individually. Uh, but 
you know, there's a lot of attitude, a lot of disrespect as would be expected in a place like that. Yes, that's difficult. How do you deal with that? I'm learning. The beginning of the year, I was more of a stickler for the rules, and I learned to pick my battles to avoid fights. Because when you nitpick small things with these kids, they blow up. A lot of times, a lot of them don't have, most of them actually don't have a lot of support at home. And so when they live their life being the adult um, in their household and then come to school and get told what to do, they just don't like it. Yeah, that's hard. That's a difficult transition, I'm sure, for them. And I know that I've read a lot about um, like what people call as junk behavior and not like responding to that immediately, like kind of, yes, like you said, choosing your battles, letting some of those smaller things go because it's it sometimes is attention-seeking and, and actually giving them positive attention rather than just responding immediately to what some people call as junk behavior. So that's an interesting thought. Yeah, definitely. And I've tried to spend more time getting to know the students as individuals, which helps as I develop relationships with them. They definitely respond better to me. Absolutely. I've talked about that in a previous show, and I'll link to that in the show notes about building rapport with students and how far that can go. And, and, and obviously, you're in a very difficult situation, and this, is, this takes a lot more um, building rapport. Like there's a lot, a lot more that you have to do when you're dealing with kids that have basically been placed in a, in, in a school where that's probably not their first choice. And they've, they've oh, continuously, right, yeah. yeah, continuously had issue after issue, I'm sure to have gotten to that point. So there's a lot more to their whys, why they're behaving that way. Um, okay. So okay. we, we were going to talk a little bit about anxiety and ADHD and how that has impacted schools and how it's, it's probably especially affected these children. So what are your thoughts on the growing number of children who are diagnosed or suffer from ADHD or anxiety? Um, it's a good and a bad thing. It might um, be a little bit overdiagnosed, but I think that the reason that the numbers are growing is because of improved diagnostic the tool recognition. Is- There's, mm-hmm. They're being recognized like, yeah, I have ADHD myself, and um, I went through school failing classes and just was allowed to fail. Nobody intervened. I didn't get any um, accommodations. Nobody tested me for anything. It wasn't until I was 20 in college that I got tested and diagnosed, and I hadn't even heard of ADHD. That was in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw flyers for the health center for mental health and you know, mentioning attention problems. And I was like, you know, I can read this page in complete silence and have no idea what I just read. Like, what, what's wrong with me? So I went in and she mentioned ADHD. And when I start, you know, went on the internet and searched it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. That's been me my entire life. Why didn't somebody do something? So I'm sure I'm not alone as, you know, not being diagnosed, but today a child like me would be diagnosed. So that's my explanation for the growing numbers. And I think it's a good thing because we can provide accommodations to these kids. What do you notice about how they feel about learning? It's hard to get through to some of them. I think that's the saddest part though, that they have along the way started to believe that lie about themselves, that they're not smart. And I think, I think, I don't think that we're Personally, I don't feel like we're doing a good enough job addressing that in, in kids and in school. And a lot of times we're putting kids in, in situations where they feel like a failure. So what they believe about themselves, about not feeling smart, is then becomes true and it becomes their reality. So they are reminded constantly that they're not smart in that way. 
and that is ups- that's really upsetting to me. Like I feel strongly about that, that, that I, I think we need to do a better job making kids feel like they have value. And even if they are not so like what you would call school smart, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not smart. It means that they think in a different way and we're not, util- we're not like celebrating all the different ways that people think. I mean, Albert Einstein wasn't school smart and we know that he was a genius. And, and so that, that, that like is a trigger for me because that makes me very upset that kids feel like they're not smart because I think that leads to, leads to one problem after another. Oh, for sure. They don't uh, want to put forth an effort because they feel like they're just going to fail at it anyway. So why waste the effort when, you know, I try to hand them tools, you know, note taking skills and things like that, that will help them succeed. They don't want to listen to that. They don't, they don't think it's going to work and they think I'm wasting their time and then they get angry and it becomes a worse problem than it should be. Yeah. Like a vicious cycle. Do you think that by the time they've gotten to you, where it almost feels too late, like if we had earlier interventions with those kinds of things, like we we were, because I, I feel like in elementary school, it's just gotten harder and harder. Like the, you know, first grade is the new second grade and second grade is the new third grade. And we keep pushing these standards on children and, and we want it to be more rigorous in kindergarten. And, you know, we're talking about their college and career ready when they're in kindergarten. And and I don't have a problem with the standards. I just have it. I have an issue with kids like putting things on children where they're not developmentally ready and where we're, we're not as concerned about their emotional health. And I think at le- if we were, then maybe you wouldn't see as many kids as you're seeing. Oh, absolutely. What about remediation? It's tough when you uh, have to do the remedial stuff with some of them because they it just makes them feel stupid and they don't want to do it. They no. You know, it's tough sometimes. It takes a lot of practice to get through and figure out, you know, techniques for that. Absolutely. And it's, and I know that you mentioned when we were emailing back and forth, you you mentioned that your son struggled. How does that completely change your perspective when you watch your own child struggle? Um, my child is, um, he's really similar to me. Um, he his ADHD manifests differently, though, than mine did. He hasn't really changed my perspective on ADHD as much as my students have. Um, I have, being, you know, we have a high ESE population, not surprisingly, in my school. Um, and I've noticed how differently uh, ADHD can manifest itself in different students. Like with my child, like I said, he gets his meds, he's fine. Mm-hmm. I have students that come to me, and I don't know if they're on medication or not. It's not my business. I don't ask. I don't get involved in that. But mm-hmm. they really get in trouble. They It manifests as outbursts and tantrums almost. Oh, it, uh-huh. um, huge disruptions. The more you try to get them back where they're supposed to be, the harder they push. And, uh, you know, it's resulted in, you know, one student being removed from school, and they now have to homeschool because they just – put and keep it together in in a classroom with other students. So I was surprised at how, you know, huge a range of behaviors there can be under the one diagnosis of ADHD. Do you think that it's possible there's some other things going on as well, or do you feel like that's the answer? I know that at least one student also has um, oppositional defiant disorder, which um, I was not very familiar with, Mm -hmm. but a 
apparently, according to our mental health uh, specialist at school, um, it does manifest as uh, worse behavior when you're correct when they're corrected. Like mm-hmm. the more they're corrected, the worse they will behave. I guess the opposition they're pushing back yeah. against the correction. So they they want to be allowed more choices. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they want choices that just aren't safe to let them make. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's hard. Do you think that sometimes the, the tantrums or the outbursts are an avoidance to what they have to do? Uh, for sure. Um, there's one specific student that I really think um, uses her outbursts as a way to get out of class so that she doesn't have to you know, struggle through the materials. Because I've sat down and worked one-on-one with her and she just would act like she didn't know anything when I know she knew the answers. I was asking simple questions and she just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just out of doing it because I guess, you know, 13, 14 years of, you know, not knowing is she just can't handle it anymore. Yeah. That we were going to discuss was anxiety. And like, how are you seeing that in the class, that playing out in the classroom? Um, It's, it's tough to know uh, because the kids don't tell me they're feeling anxious. Uh, Last year I did have one student, you know, asked to leave, go to the clinic because she was having an anxiety attack. And of course Mm -hmm. I let her go. Um, it often manifests itself in uh, disruptive and almost aggressive behaviors. I think it uh, manifests as snapping at others. The, the, a lot of the disrespect, I think, that I get could be, you know. Anxiety. Anxiety. They don't, they don't want to answer my questions, so they get rude and nasty to get me to leave them alone. Yeah. What do you think about, like, having, like, teaching them more about, like, to being able to name their own feelings. Like, what are your thoughts on that? We have a uh, mental health counselors that come once a week and meet with them to just kind of oh. talk about, you know, so what are your goals and what have you been doing? And, you know, are you feeling any pressure to do this? Just started I mean, recently. Absolutely. That, I mean, I would hope that that would be something that would be beneficial to them because that can really make a huge difference. What about like increasing professional development around those kind of topics? I know if teachers, again, had those tools in their toolbox, then they, they would know like how to help kids talk about their feelings, deal with their feelings, what, what make a different choice when the certain feeling came up. And I don't feel like I agree, like in, in my education program and even in my professional development in the last 20 years, it wasn't a topic that we talked about. But we're seeing so much behavior issues, even in even in elementary school, and I know in middle school, high school fights, things like that. We're seeing this. Why why are we not having more professional development around like trauma, like how you know because people kids that have gone through trauma that that manifests in some some serious behavior issues, and maybe we need more information on how to deal with anxiety and how to deal with um, trauma, you know, trauma-informed care. What are your thoughts about that? I think it's definitely a need. Um, it's not something that I've um, experienced yet in my couple of years of teaching. Um, we did do a, P, a PD this year that was uh, understanding poverty, which was mm-hmm. really eye-opening and informing, informative to me. That was seeing, you know, how that the poverty affects the decision-making of these kids helped a lot me understand why they did the things they did. Yes. So that's good. That's a place to start. It sounds like they're like starting with something, which is good because if we, I think if we understand more of where a child is coming from, I think we have a better chance at at helping them. Right. Because if they're 
not sure when they're going to eat next. It's almost impossible for them to worry about learning, you know, this novel that we're reading or whatever they're, you know, so finding ways around that is something I'm still working on, but it was eye opening to see, you know, how kids in poverty think a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Because their basic survival needs are not being met. So if their basic survival needs aren't being met, they're unable to concentrate on anything else. And if they already have, you know, ADHD and anxiety and all the rest of these things, if those kind of things are happening to them or they're surviving, you know, they're going, their parents are going through a divorce or they're surviving, you know, domestic violence in their home. It's your, that's where your brain is. Your brain is unable to take on any more information. And so it makes sense that they're, that they're, they're wanting to avoid that in the classroom because what they have going on in their mind is, is taking, is at the forefront, which makes sense. Right, which leads into another uh, symptom of anxiety is the uh, inability to concentrate. And, you know, that can be ADHD or anxiety. But in the case of anxiety, it's because they have other worries on their mind. That's why they can't concentrate on, you know, the, the assignment or the lecture or the notes or whatever they're supposed to be concentrating on. So what would, what would you like to know more information on if in you, since you've been doing this for a pretty limited amount of time, where would you like, what would you like to see happen as like your first steps in what you would like to know? So I definitely would like to learn, have more skills on how to get through to kids with, because even having ADHD myself, I was raised in a different time. I didn't have accommodations. It was do it or fail. And so getting past that mentality is tough for me. Learning more ways to be patient and accommodating without um, coddling them. I don't like coddling kids or Mm -hmm. giving them excuses for their behavior. So I definitely want to find a way to balance that. Absolutely. And because if we figure out the why they're behaving that way, then maybe we can help them understand that themselves so that they can help themselves because ultimately you're right they're going to go off into the world and they're not going to have some of these things and and we want them to be able to be productive citizens and be able to you know to help themselves well thank you so much amanda for joining me today and i really appreciate this conversation and getting kind of a glimpse into an alternative route for students and hoping that that we can kind of catch them before they completely fall. (laughs) Definitely, that's our goal at the school I'm at. Um, But thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for hanging around. We all have different experiences, but I love that we can still learn from one another. Next week, we're gonna dive deeper into how teachers can help children who struggle with anxiety and ADHD. I have a brilliant school psychologist coming to share her wisdom. You won't wanna miss it. Leave a comment and let me know how you're working through your challenges in your classroom. Okay, until next time, this one tired teacher is ready for a snooze. Take care and sleep tight.